I have a question for you. What are you doing to support women to leadership positions in your organisation? From all of the work I have done with both individuals and organisations, I have compiled my learnings on this issue in my new guide, 15 Ways to Support Women in Leadership. You can download it for free at happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. The guide addresses not only the individual responsibility of us as women looking to get to those leadership positions, but also the challenge of creating a supportive environment. A reminder of that address, happieratwork.ie forward slash resources. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. Inclusion is hard. Inclusion involves hearing something you don't really want to hear. And if it's somebody's lived experience that they would prefer if you didn't use that word, you can't say, I'm sorry, you're wrong about that. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, it's actually sometimes having somebody point out something to you that you say, well, that's not my intention, but that doesn't actually cover the topic entirely. Do you know what I mean? And maybe you need to have a conversation and maybe you need to change your vocabulary or maybe you just need to be a bit more aware. The assumption is this is easy, that it's it's something lovely and it's inclusive. We all want to do it, so it's going to be very straightforward. But actually areas of it are going to be challenging because there are things that you're going to be asked to do, stop doing, that you don't see as being offensive. My guest on the podcast today is Donna O'Connor, events organizer extraordinaire. And the reason I wanted to talk to Donna on the podcast today is to get her insights on what she's seeing HR directors talking about. So we have a really interesting conversation. It goes in lots and lots of different ways. We talk about culture. We talk about talent. We talk about diversity and inclusion. As always, at the end, I will do a synopsis of some of the key points that we covered and some of the key takeaways and actions from today's episode. So do stay tuned for that. And I would love to know what you think, if there's something that you're going to do differently, if there is something that inspired you from today's episode, do let me know and you'll be able to connect with me on happieratwork.ie. You'll find all of my social links there. Donna, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. We've been talking about this for a while, so finally recording day. Um, do you want to give people a little bit of history, you know, who you are, your career journey to date, and then we'll get started? Um, well, I should say my name is Donna. Um, I'm Donna O'Connor. I think my quick synopsis is that I would describe myself as an event organizer, but that's probably too short um, a description. I'm more of an event curator. I believe I put HR and business leaders in the middle of really interesting conversations around topics such as workplace well-being, DNI, CSR, purpose, culture, change management. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And I I I I look after everything from picking the topics to finding the sponsors to creating the event and getting the delegates. So that's a bit of a long description. So I summarize it with event organizer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Doing absolutely everything in relation to <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Basically, see all of the above. So I suppose the reason that I wanted to talk to you today is like this podcast is targeted at HR and business leaders. 
And I suppose from my perspective, you would really have your finger on the pulse of what people are talking about, what the hot topics are. So what are the kind of things that you're seeing out there at the moment? Like, what are people talking about? Um, I think, I suppose, first of all, HR has evolved so much in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, previously, you know, you talked to HR people and they were purely concentrating on, on sourcing talent and retaining talent. And now that role has become so much more complex. So it's around culture, around, and there's a huge amount coming in, in the, around the topics of diversity and inclusion and in, ensuring that there's a really a diverse talent pool culture and maintaining the sense of culture in, in a very, very changing world of work now that we've moved to more of a hybrid model. The, the HR role really touches off so many topics now and it's moved so far beyond the, the sourcing and the management of talent to something that's much more strategic. And I think HR people are really, are really focused on making sure that their role is strategic and that they are bringing to board level the key topics that are really impacting and um, culture and employer brand and general workplace well-being. Brilliant. So fast. And I, I've seen that shift myself. Like, again, you know, I have I don't have a HR background. I come from a commercial background. So I suppose I'm bringing that lens is like, what are mm. the important things to the business? And therefore, how do we get HR to have that voice at that leadership level, at that board level, but having the voice from a from that commercial perspective as well. So what are the important things to the business, not just what are the important things to HR? How can you bring the two together? Is that a kind of a trend that you're seeing that HR, you know, you mentioned that they're becoming more strategic. Yeah, HR is really impacting the bottom line now. Culture and brand have become such a big part of the employee value proposition. So you cannot get the right people to join your organization and to stay in your organization. If they understand later their experience of your of your culture and employer brand is not positive. And, you know, you will lose good people if their experience of working for you is not enriching. And we didn't have, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking recently, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my children about work. My, my children are kind of age 19 to 24. And I was thinking, God, you know, when did I start working? And um, it was 34 years ago. And the, the workplace that, that, that I entered was unrecognizable to the workplace now. The expectation of what you want from your employer and what the journey of employment should bring to you is, is transformed and only in a positive way. But, you know, the expectation from employees as to what they're going to get when they come and give their time and their talent to your organization is completely different. I definitely entered a workplace in 1989 where employment is very transactional. You gave your time and they gave you money. And if you wanted to have more impact, you probably gave more of your time. You know, you never brought yourself to work. You never told what else was happening in your life. You know, the expectation now is that I should feel safe to bring my authentic full self to the workplace. Mm. And I should find that you develop me as a person as well as, as an employee. And, you know, so that's a huge pressure on the employer, but it's also, it's also so valuable and rewarding if you get it right. Yeah, as and your experience of working with employees is going to be so much more positive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I suppose if I can relate that to my own situation, I did leave two organizations where I just I love how you described it as work should be an enriching experience. It definitely was not an enriching experience for me. And I decided to leave. And I know there's a lot of people who don't do that, but there are still a lot of people who do, you know, if they don't find value in the work that they're doing if they're not being recognized or if it's just not a good fit. I love how you talk about this idea of culture 
and the values that we bring to the organization as well. So like, do you see that as becoming maybe something that is increasingly important for attracting the right talent and, and having that employer brand do the work for you, essentially? Yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose the pressure is also that the employer, the experience of the employer brand has to feel authentic. It can't yeah. just be, we put, we put things on our website about valuing buyer's ed and, you know, we have a positive culture and whatever, and then you go in and your experience of that is not the same. I think sometimes, as I say, I, I put people at the heart of an interesting conversation. I think a lot of my events are things like roundtable dinner discussions or their awards where people share elements of their winning strategy when they win the award. So you're, you're constantly hearing stories. And I think for me, I've often heard stories from kind of particularly leaders who'll say they brought their personal experience to their employer in some capacity and their employer made a change in terms of how they, how they delivered something as a result of that. And, and so in that instance, that person feels seen, they feel that their experience is valued. You know, that's, that's, a, that's seen culture at work. You know what I mean? And I think, I think it's something like that that people are hoping for. So, yeah. you know, I, I know I was talking to, to one leader one time and she had, had two very premature babies. And previously, maternity leave was essentially started when you had the child, when you went, you went on maternity leave, the expectation was you had the child within two or three weeks. And then, you know, you, you used up your maternity leave with, obviously at home with that child. And her experience was that her children were born very premature. So mm. a lot of her maternity leave was consumed with her babies being in hospital. So she, she became part of a lobby group to change government policy around, around maternity leave. And, 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 and when it was recognized as officially starting mm-hmm. and, and she brought that to her employer as well. And they changed their implementation of the company policy on maternity leave. I'm sorry, probably better referred to now as parental leave, but they, they, they changed their policy around when that leave was officially started. Mm. So that if, for example, you had child, a young baby uh, premature in hospital, you weren't consuming that leave on hospital visits. Yeah. So, you know, that's bringing your experience to your employer and being heard. You know, I have talked to one leader in particular who had a very difficult journey to fertility and she shared with her employer about her, her failed attempts at fertility with IVF and, and they changed their offering in terms of their support, again, around leave to include people who were going through the IVF process. Do you know what I mean? So that's bringing your story to the workplace and saying, this is my life outside of work. Yeah. You know, and that's culture in action. You yeah. Know, when, when, yeah. When you hear somebody, I had um, a HR dinner recently and we were talking about the new, the new bill, the, the bill that allows for employers to give discretionary leave for victims of domestic abuse. The workplace balance and miscellaneous bill. And um, so this, the, Somebody was sharing their story and they said, you know, they, they encourage their team to share life stories um, yeah. at different times, kind of sort of employee engagement exercises. So they had one person who sort of turned was, and the woman in question was from the traveler community. So they believed that the story she would share would be about her life as a woman from, from the traveler tradition. And instead of that, she talked about her experience as a victim of domestic abuse and her, her experience as an employee who was experiencing domestic abuse at home and how yeah. she felt she, she couldn't talk about it, you know, due to personal feelings of shame and, you know, and isolation. And they, I mean, they had, they haven't opened themselves to bringing that discretionary leave to employees if they were experiencing domestic abuse. But that sharing of that story brought that conversation forward for them. Mm. And they thought, actually, now we can think of a person 
for who will benefit from this. Yeah. You know, I can say, I entered the workplace in 1989. We would never have shared those stories. You know what I mean? We would, ne- they would never have felt safe to share that story. You would have always felt that that was a limiting decision to share what was going on in your personal life to that extent. And I think that's where the workplace and the role of HR has changed so dramatically that we are now encouraging people. And by no means, you know, is any workplace perfect. It's all a work in progress. But the fact that this is the hope that people would bring mm. these kind of stories to the workplace and that you will you change policies to, you know, enrich the experience of these people in the workplace is, yeah. is really yeah. encouraging. Yeah. I mean, there's so there's so much to kind of say on that. It's the use of stories in that employer brand. And that's kind of more from the internal perspective and using people as role models. And I love how you described it as now we have a person in mind when we're thinking about that policy or we're thinking about implementing. It's a human. It's not just a statistic. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not just something that's kind of detached from us. And oh, maybe it's a policy that will be used by someone and you're, you but you don't have anyone in mind in particular. So I absolutely love that and, and how the role of HR has changed and how, you know, using those stories at work does bring the culture alive, essentially. Now, there's a, there's a few things I'd love to drill in a little bit further. Like, do you, do you see anything at the moment? And I have a couple of ideas in mind and I just, I'd love to get your perspective as well. But do you see anything where it's still not really safe to talk about these things. So you mentioned when you enter the workforce, you wouldn't talk about things like domestic violence and the, the impact that that's had. Are there any of those topics or, or, or is there anything that we can learn maybe from encouraging employees to open up about those things? I don't think there's a no-go area anymore. I think people mm. are open to all conversations. Can every requirement be matched? No. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, and I know sometimes things like that whole forger or the, the work-life balance and miscellaneous, some HR leaders are, are concerned about that, but what pressure it puts, that, puts on them mm. um, in terms of, of giving unplanned leave, you know what I mean? Okay, and yeah. How far the role of HR should step in to, sure. to engage in terms of their personal life and, and, and when, can you, when can the demands of the business, you know, I suppose, supersede the demands of, of what's happening um, in somebody's life. But I think that people have been taking this leave all along. They've just been calling it different things. Yeah. Now we're maybe free to go into the employer, share what's going on in the background and ask for the support we need. But people mm. were unable to come to work because of things that were going on in their personal life. They still took that leave. They mm. just perhaps weren't honest about why they needed it. Yeah. And as I say, you know, it's a work in progress for many people. I don't think there's anything that's a no-go area. I love to see the fact that people are talking about menopause leave and and, and menopause support. Very encouraging. Not just because I'm of a certain age, but it's, it's, you know, it is unimaginable that people could go in and share something personal like that. I think that um, I saw recently that Vodafone had introduced... carers leave and and I think that's so important because mm. I think that and particularly for maintaining great women in the workforce so often women move from minding their children a short window of freedom and then they move mm. into minding their parents you know what yeah. I mean and and mm. I think if anything COVID probably also you know a lot of uh, you know elderly parents having to having to cocoon sadly you know loss of life actually you know created an awareness of of our responsibility support mm the older generation and brought those conversations into the workplace. And I think that prior to this, people didn't really get a huge amount of support 
if they were if they were having to to, to support a parent. And mm. sometimes it it's it's easier to say, I have a child that needs to go to the doctor or I had a special day to see my child. Because people people think of children as being special, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's something we should nurture. And it can be it can be quite isolating. I think it perhaps, you know, what's what's consuming your spare time is bringing a beloved aging parent to doctor appointments. But yeah. it's no less important. So it's great to see those things coming onto the agenda. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a no-go area. I think there's I think there's a challenge perhaps around things like disability inclusion mm. to to really meet the requirements uh, of what people need in order for an organization to be truly inclusive. Personally, I think in terms of DNI, I feel that disability inclusion is probably the next great journey we'll see HR go on. Yeah. And I had shown at the Omar crew on uh, probably about 18 months ago or so, and she was talking about disability inclusion and mentioned it as kind of the poor cousin in DE&I. It's not something that people necessarily talk about. People don't, they kind of shy away from it. They don't really know what to say. So if anyone hasn't listened to that episode, definitely go and check that yeah, out. I listened to it myself. It was great because I, I met Shona last year, actually myself anyway, and she's such an impressive and lovely individual. Yeah. And I have I have a good friend, Sasha Dacker, who has who speaks on disability and had hemiplegia, so she she paralyzed on one side. A stellar career, both before and after, with ultimately a medical accident. Oh, you know, and Shona does the same. They highlight, you know, the great, fantastic individuals that could be part of your, um, you know, workforce mm. with minor accommodations in some cases. Exactly. But yeah. I think, yeah, I think sometimes employers have been slightly nervous of that. You know, they've, they've certainly embraced it maybe in terms of neurodiversity. And mm. um, so, you know, an ASD or an ADHD diagnosis is is much more likely to have employment now with the necessary supports. Yeah. You know, physical disability is, is you know, their accommodations for employees, you know, who are blind or deaf it is a challenge. I'm saying that I had the great pleasure last year and I'm doing it again this year, organizing the first National Diversity and Inclusion Awards. Um, I worked with the Irish Centre for Diversity last year and I'm, I'm working with them again this year on it. And they look at excellence in diversity and inclusion across areas such as race and ethnicity, disability, gender, LGBTQI, you know, and they've added social inclusion this year and, you know, diversity leaders and, and uh, et cetera. But one of, the, one of the most exciting categories I found last year was the area of disability inclusion. And mm. we, were, we were hearing stories from organizations that had brought in sign language classes because they had two deaf employees. And they, for every Friday for three months, they gave employees the option of doing a three-hour sign language class and they brought mm. them certification level. Yeah, yeah. And this is the public sector body. And and the fact that they did that purely with purely with the intention of making the workplace a more enriching place for the two mm. employees they had who were deaf. It was a fantastic story. Yeah. And uh, we heard from, actually the winner in the category was was Mr. Price, Branded Bargains and their retail and they've 60, 60 outlets, I think, around Ireland, and they have 64 disabled employees across 60 outlets. Wow. And, you know, they talked about things like, you know, how you remove the barriers to those people applying for jobs. So they, you know, particularly with people with, a, say, an autism diagnosis, you know, they in one instance, they allowed somebody to make an application via a poem. You know, so they were, they were removing the traditional barriers. So I think for people to be truly inclusive with this, but I think, and I think it's definitely the next, the next area that HR is looking for to have true diversity in the tap pool and to make sure that your organization is tapping into the best possible pool of people. One has to work harder. 
accountability inclusion. But I think, but I think we belong that. Yeah. And it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about that talent pool and really focusing on that. It's not just kind of a numbers game anymore. It's about getting the right people in, having that correct employer branding, making sure that the employer brand lives up to what, what your expectations are as an outsider. Because I know that certainly happened to me and I've heard lots of other stories where the website says one thing or, you know, during the interview process, you're promised one thing and then you enter the organization and it's a completely different story all too often. But uh, coming back to this idea of ADHD and ASD, I'm seeing certainly a lot more talk about that and, you know, following a couple of people on social media and seeing their perspectives of this is the strength that I can bring as someone who has ADHD. So I might get distracted at times, but then I'll go into hyper focus mode and I can see the connections between certain things that other people maybe don't see the connections necessarily. So it's thinking about all of these different strengths that people bring, whether it's neurodiversity or whether it's other types of uh, disabilities as well. Um, I'd love to kind of touch on, on this area of culture, kind of coming back to culture and how to foster that great culture. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think a bank of it is probably, you know, an element of leadership development as well, because yeah. we have leaders are now required to do so much more than they were ever required in their roles before. And so an element of mentorship or coaching and yeah. investment in that from an organizational perspective is definitely, is definitely necessary. I think where you see organizations doing it successfully, it's leadership led, but then your leaders themselves need to be open to the change. And, you know, we all have, I mean, even before I started working on the diversity and inclusion awards, they asked me to do sort of unconscious bias training just to, because we all do have a level of unconscious bias. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I found it really interesting to kind of explore what my assumptions mm. are. And, and I, I, you know, I think that, I think we could all benefit from it. <laughs> yeah. and, and also I suppose is, you know, that safety we talk about safety and being safe to bring your authentic self to work. And I think there's also, there was a rise of social media and that there's a lack of nuance now. So people are afraid to ask questions where their question will show either a lack of understanding or a lack of empathy. And I'm sure that, you know, it does happen at leadership level as well. So you, you close down because, you know, you, this, is, this is not an area I'm an expert in. I don't know if I'm going to be comfortable with that. I don't, I, I don't know if I'm going to you know, address it properly. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure on leaders to be all things to all people and to have that, as I yeah. say, you know, compassion and empathy and understanding of such a broad range of topics. And I think, I think that you know, coaching and development is, is, is really needed um, yeah. at all levels. Yeah, you're so right. Sorry, I'm just making a note there of what you've just said really interesting like there is this pressure now like the role of leader has changed so previously it would be manager and it was very much managing the work and not necessarily the person yeah. although probably still having to deal with whatever personal issues people have going on as well but this idea of leadership development and having mentorship and coaching I suppose it provides the opportunity for HR to kind of provide that guidance and that structure that people can use so the understanding is that the leaders or the managers carry out the work, but they have the support there in the form of training or development areas or resources that they can use to deal with their team because you can't be expected to know how to handle every single situation. I wanted to touch on this unconscious bias training as well. I took a test, you know, testing my unconscious bias and I was particularly interested in gender, being a woman and wanting to, to kind of help support women in the workplace in particular. And I found that I was biased against women 
And I think that's <laughs> fairly typical. I think that's typical because the society that we live in, that we tend to be, you know, everything that we've grown up with, everything that we've learned. And I read, I can't remember exactly where this stat comes from, but I did read something recently that said nine out of 10 women are biased against other women. Yeah, I know. I think I read that recently. It was on, it was on LinkedIn or something. Yeah. yeah. But I love this idea then of, you know, creating a psychologically safe environment so people are free to speak up and that it's okay to ask questions, even if you're afraid of coming across as not being empathetic or afraid of coming across as not having the answer, because maybe the expectation is that we don't have all the answers, but we can seek out the answers because we know where to find them and there are resources available to be able to get them. And if HR don't have those answers, again, they can, you know, tap into their pool of external resources and try and find the answers or try and find the appropriate guidelines or, or guidance around that. Yeah, and I think I think you're seeing a rise as well in the importance of strong employee resource groups, you know, so yes. the whole ERG culture. So they're organized because sometimes, you know, you have to have lived an experience before you can really appreciate what's needed. And yeah. not everybody can have lived every so, you know, if you have ERGs within an organization that concentrate on things like disability, that concentrate on things like LGBTQI, you know, and can maybe, and you have leaders who are saying, well, you know, they, they will openly, you know, share that they're part of the LGBT community themselves. That kind of empowers other people to say similarly. But, you know, you also, you still find that organizations are a little bit nervous around topics like transgender expression in case, or, sorry, in terms of gender expression in case they get it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Use of pronouns. So, you know, you have to, you have to maybe invite somebody in whose lived experience this is for them to share what they would find to be a support. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you need people to be able to say, I understand this, but I don't understand that. Can you explain your experience of that mm. so that I can better understand that? And, you know, and then once it's demystified, I think a lot of people are very naturally inclusive and compassionate, but we shut down when we don't understand things and, mm. and, and we don't want to go near topics that make us feel uncomfortable. And, you know, leaders are meant to to be definite and direct. And so if I'm not comfortable with a topic, I may avoid it in order to not appear weaker than other people on it. And that's not, that is not the way to drive change. So mm. it's, it's, but I, 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 we are seeing the right of importance within organizations of the ERGs and that more leaders themselves are participating in them and that they're giving them budget to run either events, culture type mm. events to create a greater understanding in the organization of the different areas. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've seen that even, you know, when I was still working in corporate, I set up the Ireland branch of the global ERGs that we had in the company I worked in. But it's really great to see those being rolled out a lot more. And I love that you said budget as well, because oftentimes when I'm dealing with ERGs who kind of approach me to, to come in and speak to their teams, they don't necessarily have the budget to be able to get an external speaker in or they're maybe a bit clueless about how much it's, it's actually going to cost. So having budget and having that, that kind of leadership support behind that, I think it's is really, really important as well. I love what you said as well about avoiding topics when we're uncomfortable, we're unsure about things and we just avoid the topics rather than actually being open about it. And again, I think it comes back to creating this psychologically safe environment where we can yeah. show up as ourselves and we're not necessarily expected to have all the answers. And um, there was one thing, actually, uh, I attended a, a meeting the other week and they were using some jargon and I didn't really understand what they were talking about. And I said it to the person beside me. I said, 
you know, what does this thing mean that they're saying? You know, am I the only person who doesn't know what that means? Because they're just using it as if everyone might understand. And she's like, oh, I don't know. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stick up my hand because there's at least one other person that doesn't know. And maybe the whole room doesn't know because it's it's quite nuanced jargon that they're using. Yeah. Maybe it's specific to their organization. So, um, yeah, stuck the stuck the old hand up and asked the question anyway about that. And I think it's really important to create that space that it is okay. So there's not people yeah. walking out of the room thinking, my God, I wish I had asked that question or, you know, what does that actually mean? I'm not really clear on what the next steps are or what the, the application of this is or, you know, what, what does this yeah. mean for me? Yeah, and I think it's, as you say, it, it's your authentic self. Sometimes your authentic self is just a bit clueless on something and you need to be able to to say that. I think it's that feigning understanding and as I say you know openness on every topic is in itself misleading and a lot of it comes from I think with social media you have to be very for everything or very against something do you know what I mean and mm. there's no there's no gray area I think the majority of us on, on most topics have an element of gray lack of yeah. understanding curiosity yeah. about different options personal reservation about some of it and, and mm. there isn't really necessarily a forum to share that yeah. Um, you know, language has been quite extreme, you know, so we're, you know, we have zero tolerance for, or, you know, we're a hundred percent inclusive in, and, you know what I mean? And it's, it doesn't really necessarily allow for people whose management style is perhaps evolving because they're, you know, they're at this a while, or they've come from very, one very definite perspective on things and they have one very definite skill set and they're, you know, evolving as a leader, but they're not quite at the best where they would along with perhaps all of language that's now being used within the workplace. I mean, it has, it, you know, it's changed immeasurably, yeah. as I say, from, from when I started, but only to the positive. But I think that we have to be tolerant of those that are on a journey to get yeah. there and yeah. not put them all. And I do think, I think inclusion is difficult. I, you know, yeah. I think that it's funny, something came up there recently, it was on, on social media. So one of the singers used in an interview, used a term to describe being extremely tired. And a member of the traveler community, actually Senator Eileen Flynn, whom I've worked with on topics, raised the fact that this is a negative and offensive term to the mm. traveler community. And okay. so many people came back and they were like, oh, for God's sake, you know what I mean? Like, are you mm. going to take offense at everything? This is in our regular, you know, vocabulary and lexicon, it's used in the yeah. UK, blah, blah. And, you know, they think, do you know, inclusion is hard. Inclusion involves hearing something you don't really want to hear. And if it's somebody's lived experience that they would prefer, if you didn't use that word, you can't say, I'm sorry, you're wrong about that. <laughs> you mean, you know, it's actually sometimes having somebody point out something to you that you say, well, that's not my intention, but that doesn't actually cover the topic entirely. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and maybe you need to have a conversation and maybe you need to change your vocabulary or maybe you just need to be a bit more aware. The assumption is this is easy that it's, it's something lovely and it's inclusive. We all want to do it. So it's going to be very straightforward. But actually areas of it are going to be challenging because there are things that you're going to be asked to do, stop doing, that you don't see as being offensive. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That you don't see that there's a problem there. And then, you know, that kind of brings us back to this grey area. Yeah. There are a lot of grey areas where maybe we don't have that full understanding. And um, this idea that you said about zero tolerance for and the note that I made was that makes things exclusive. So you're either one thing yeah. or the other and it's not inclusive to everyone then. It's that, you know, what about the people in the in the grey who don't fully understand? They're kind of being excluded because of that extreme 
language. And this just the general idea, I suppose, of inclusion. It's difficult and it's about education and it's about having these conversations, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think we love the idea of it for mm. all the right reasons. Yeah. But I think that, you know, we roll our eyes at some of the stuff that we think is difficult for us to do or unnecessary mm. or it's gone to the other extreme or everybody mm. takes an offence. Uh, you know, that's just avoiding hearing other people's lived experience where yeah. they say, this is why I have an issue with that. Let's have mm-hmm. a conversation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. My sister who's done leadership coaching said something to me one time that, you know, we judge other people by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our intention. Exactly. And it resonates so much, you mm-hmm. know, when you, sometimes when you find offense because of somebody's behavior, you don't ask yourself what their intention is. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, when you justify your own intent, you don't think about how other people have experienced your behavior. Yeah, this is absolutely it. And I've heard that myself before and I love it because we do. We yeah. jump to judge mode and think I would never do something like that. But actually, we think about what our intention is and we don't think as much about how our behavior comes across. And equally, we're looking at how people, how other people's behavior comes across, but we're not thinking about, well, what do they, what do they, why do they do that? Or what was the intention behind that? And I know I've certainly been on the receiving end of some of that. I've been a little bit misunderstood about what my intention was for doing certain things and, you know, been called out on it. But when you get that chance to explain, I think it makes, it definitely makes a huge difference. And the, well, the other thing I was going to say, inclusion, we could probably have a whole other podcast episode about that. Like it's, it's a nuanced topic and try to make sure that everyone feels included is hard, especially in this day. If you just think of even just random things like having WhatsApp groups at work and who's in the WhatsApp group and who's not in the WhatsApp group and what's being said in the WhatsApp group. So little things like that, that didn't really exist even when I was in corporate, uh, you know, five years yeah. ago. So just, you know, it's, it, it can become... <laughs> Quite a quite a bit of a nightmare trying to make sure that everyone feels included all at the same time. I think, and 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 I suppose the use as well that whole term equity. You know what I mean? And making sure that you are giving people equal and equitable opportunity to be included. You know what yeah. I mean? There's one thing about saying we're open to all, but if the routes you require people to go in order to avail of that inclusion are not equal, then you're not really open to all. Yeah, and I suppose again, it's. It ties in with this idea of the mismatch between what you're saying and what you're putting out there, saying we're, you know, we're a fair employer, yeah. we're equal opportunities, and then what actually happens on the ground. And it's not really that way at all. It's a bit more political and it's who you know, rather than creating a meritocracy where people are recognised for the work that they do, even if they're quieter, even if they're underrepresented, even if people don't necessarily know who they are. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important to, to get that balance right as well. Yeah, and I think it's, I say, people's experience of an organization, particularly from, from the outset, it's funny, I have, I have experience, say, of a, a son going to do a placement and I was talking to other mums about kind of placements, grad, graduate placements in sort of the very corporate scenarios. And, you know, they were great, they were great placements and they were open to, you know, kids coming from all types of colleges and whatever. But when you went on the placement, they were offered in those cases to socialize in the evening with, with, with partners or, or, or senior members in order to get to know them better. They, there was start, there was a dress code. So, and, and then the dress code kind of changed. So they had said, you kind of, they'd all gone in sort of quite suited and booted. And then they said, no, you can kind of, you can just wear chin shirts, which obviously also then required going out and buying a new set of whatever, oh, because it was yeah. usually that age bracket dress and t-shirts and tracksuit bottoms. And, you know, they were, they were paid after the four weeks or whatever, but they 
quite a lot spent in the first four weeks, you know, just in terms of going for lunches and going out in the evenings and that. Mm. And obviously then they also had to give up their part-time jobs to do it for the four weeks mm. because they were they were fairly full-time. And based on that, placements were offered for after graduation. And I thought, mm. gosh, and I was speaking to my own son who didn't see it this way at all. And I, you know, this really, that's not that inclusive really. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, if you had a young single mother, for example, or a young single parent or anybody with caring responsibilities, they would not have been able to do as many of those evenings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that you did. If you had somebody who lived outside of Dublin, they may not have been able to source accommodation for themselves for the four weeks. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. so there were various things that meant that only a certain type of individual yeah. will be successful at yeah. those internships, mm. even though they're very inclusive. And this is, yeah. I mean, this is right across the board. This is not yeah. one organization or another. So many organizations have intern programs in third year and fourth year and that. And that really favor a certain background, um, no matter how inclusive they are in terms of what they set out to do. You would need, you could change it, you know, so that even you gave all interns, you know, four or five great t-shirts that they were to wear just with their choice of jeans or whatever. Do you know what I mean? For the duration. And that would take the wardrobe expense out. Or you could pay 50% of what you're going to pay them for the time so that people who have upfront expenses don't need to go into this with budget. Do you know what I mean? And so you could make some of the evening stuff virtual so that if I have to go home because I'm helping support a mom with MS or something or I have a child or whatever, that I can still engage, but just from home. Do you know what I mean? So if you were experienced at the introduction or the onboarding, favors a certain profile, then when you become a leader, you're going to repeat that. Do you know what I mean? So it's the challenge is to rethink how we do lots of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, to me, it ties in with what you were saying earlier in terms of the recruitment in the first place and having that wider talent pool. So where is it that you're getting it from? And again, it's a learning experience and it's, it's about calling people out and sharing your perspectives about these things. And why maybe it's not as inclusive as it could be and some suggestions, practical suggestions, which you've just shared as to how it can be improved. Because I think if you don't have, again, this the whole topic of diversity and inclusion, if you don't have that diverse level of where decisions are being made, then people aren't thinking about these things or they yeah. haven't experienced that firsthand and they're not necessarily thinking about it. So it's really important, I think, to have that at those senior levels or at the levels that decisions are being made so that those perspectives can be shared and so people can understand maybe a bit more about the challenges certain people would have when it comes to that. Or if you don't have those people, just devil's advocate, who might we be excluding by providing this type of service or, or by sharing this type of job at? Like, what is this language telling us, you know, and, and who are we excluding because of this? Yeah, and I was, I was at a very interesting event, Land. Year, the youth leadership program organized through common purpose called Legacy. And Jessica Magic Domney, who is with Accenture, was one of the, the first speakers and she was incredible. But she talked about all design favors somebody. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when we when we design any process or any anything, there's always somebody yeah. in mind yeah. who's going to benefit from this. And therefore there's somebody that's going to be excluded. Mm-hmm. So she shared this very interesting example of she she because she was talking to a young group. So she said, anybody anybody here uh, used a pedestrian traffic lights recently? And of course, everybody put up their hands because they'd all walked. We were an IDA and they'd all walked there. And she said, okay, in the UK, so she said, traffic lights 
favor drivers. Do you know what I mean? So you walk up to a traffic light, you press the lights and it, it chooses when to, to slow down to allow you, you know, to stop the traffic for you to cross. Yeah. And in the UK, across 15 sets of traffic lights, so it wasn't a very big sample group. They changed it so that the, the traffic lights favored the pedestrian. So that mm. when the pedestrian went to the lights, they pretty much stopped them immediately to allow okay. the pedestrian cross. So yeah. it, wasn't the, it wasn't favoring making the pedestrian wait in preference to the car. So anyway, they did this for a period of time and they discovered that it aimed pedestrians on their average commute to and from work an hour a day by favoring the pedestrian at the traffic wow. lights. And it did not impact the drivers at all. It still took as long to drive to work. It, wow. But it took the pedestrian an hour, an average of an hour a day less. Wow. By just making that design change, by thinking, yeah. who does this design favor? Yeah. And therefore, who does it exclude? And yeah. flipping it. So that is favoured a different di- a different demographic. And mm. what does that do? Yeah, we don't apply that. that to so much. But it's a really solid example and one that I think a lot of people can relate to because, you know, who hasn't ever used that? And, you know, one thing that I heard before is that those, the button makes you feel like you're taking action and that you're in control of when the light is going to change. But it's actually just a placebo. It's just there to make you think yep. like you have more control than you actually do. Yep. And the lights are going to change they, whenever the lights the are going to change. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It favours the flow of the tram. That's it. Uh, Jonna, we've covered so many topics today. I absolutely love this conversation. The question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? Well, I, I had to think about this before. I started my, my career, as I say, in 1989. I set up my first small enterprise recruiting Irish graduates back from overseas. I had a graduate with a degree in English and French from UCD. And after three weeks of looking for a job, I decided I might be as well and create something. What? Oh, for so a huge amount of patience. So I think I didn't have the language at the time. People didn't talk about happier at work. But I think what I was looking for at that time was a level of connection a level of making an impact and an opportunity to innovate. And mm. I think I've carried that through with me. So I think for me, that's what, that's what happiness at work always has it and it has, has elements of connection, impact and, and a potential to innovate. I think within broader, where people are within employment and larger organizations and those that, that I interact with, I think, I think happiness at work is being able to show up as your whole flawed um, complex self, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and feeling seen and heard, and you know, impact and connection as well continues mm. for for everybody. Brilliant, love it. And you mentioned earlier that you have an event coming up later in the year. And is there anything else that you'd like to share around how people can connect with you or find out more about the events that you have coming up? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Donna O'Connor. Uh, my email address is Donna at blacksquare.ie. So I do a lot of stuff in the, the HR and award. My very next one is the Early Career Awards. So if people want to recognize the fantastic younger employee in their organization, there, there's an outlet for them there. But as I say, always, always delighted to talk to people who have an interest in improving the workplace and want to be part of a great conversation around it. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Donna. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. And thank you for having me, Fem. So glad we got to do this. (laughs) That was Donna O'Connor sharing loads of different insights then from the perspective of the HR directors that she's dealing with on a regular basis. And before I summarise some of the key points and takeaways from that episode, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation. So 
You'll find all of my social links on my website, happieratwork.ie. I'd absolutely love to connect with you. I'd love to hear if you've been inspired, if there's anything that you're doing differently as a result of listening to today's episode. So the first point really was about the changing role of HR and how much it has changed over the years. And now it's much more strategic than it ever was before. Then we talked about the experience of work generally and how it should be an enriching experience. So I suppose a couple of questions for you. Do you feel enriched by the work that you do? And also, are you creating an enriching environment for other people to work in? We also talked about this concept of employer brand, how it relates to culture and how there should be no surprises. It should be an authentic reflection of what it's like to actually work there. So rather than saying one thing externally and attracting brilliant people into your organization only for them to be surprised when they join because there's an absolute mismatch between what was promised during the interview or on the website and what they're actually experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Now, linked with that is the use of stories to show the culture that exists in the organization. So you can use those both internally and externally to show people what is, what's it really like to work here. You can have role models associated with that as well so that people know what to aspire to. We talked about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And one of the, the key things, I suppose, that I took from that part of the conversation is about removing barriers. So removing barriers at the applicant stage. So the example that she shared was having someone who had autism spectrum disorder was able to apply using a poem. I just love that as a story, as a really memorable thing that people can then kind of apply in their everyday. So, you know, when it comes to attracting talent or the job application process, are you making sure that it's open as possible or are you excluding people without necessarily realizing that you're excluding them, whether that's through the language that you use from where it's advertised? So a lot of things to consider there with the acknowledgement as well that inclusion is really difficult. And we went on then to talk about how it is difficult and creating this culture of psychological safety that it's okay to ask these questions and it's okay to be wrong and say the wrong thing. And it's really the the intention behind what people want to understand more about. And it's not creating exclusion by having extremes at either end, but rather creating and fostering inclusion. So making sure that, that people's voices are heard, essentially. That's it for today's episode. And I have another really great episode for you next week, another interview-based episode. So do keep an eye out for that. It'll be coming out at the normal time next Friday. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.